Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Yukon Pod. This is Amon Kidwai, and uh, here to talk some of the recent changes going on with Yukon men's basketball with uh, our guy Thomas Fritsch. Uh, how's it going, man? It's going good. Yeah, been a crazy week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it started uh, somewhat, somewhat uh, auspiciously with the news of the removal of the strength and conditioning coach. Um, but then it kind of escalated from there. We found out Steve Enoch, a promising uh, center, uh, will be transferring. And then that uh, pre pretty big news in the removal of uh, associate head coach Glenn Miller. I guess, you know, Tom, you have, you have thoughts on the strength and conditioning coach situation and, and what might have been uh, some of the causes for that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting because then when that happened, it kind of reminded me back when he was first hired, after they won the whole thing, he was getting a lot of praise from all the players and all the coaches just because how the players were the best conditioned athletes at the end of the game and they were not resting on their knees. They were they were better than everybody else in terms of in, in that regard. But, you know, with the bigs, I think everything comes back to the bigs. It seems like the bigs didn't put on enough as much strength as everyone would have hoped for. Uh, Amita Brahma seemed like the same player from freshman year to senior year, although uh, him and Facey did add a little bit more bulk during their senior year. So it just seems that maybe UConn wanted to go in a different direction and uh, one factor, I know that when he came from University of Alabama, he was primarily uh, working with the gymnastics and soccer team. And then the new posting for the strength and conditioning, the director of strength and conditioning at UConn is up. And uh, I noticed that under the preferred qualifications, they want someone who's had 10 years of experience in the sport of basketball, uh, either as a player and or a coach. And they want someone who has Division One collegiate basketball playing experience. So it seems like they just want to go in a different direction and really have someone who uh, knows the ins and outs of what's required by uh, student athletes in collegiate basketball. Yeah. So yeah, this was uh, Travis Ilian, and uh, I, I do remember the the hailing of his kind of approach as as the wave of the future. Um, but yeah, I think the I think you're right. If you look at just look at Kenton Facey and Amita Brahma and uh, over the four years, they didn't look noticeably different from a, from a strength perspective and it could have helped both tremendously. Um, so I think, you know, there's definitely something that was missing in terms of what we were getting from, from the current strength and conditioning coach. Uh, obviously much bigger news when we find out that Miller is leaving. Uh, so Miller, and it's and it is related. Miller was working was primarily tasked with working with the big men uh, yeah. as well, and and I think it's a slightly different um, a slightly different set of responsibilities in terms of their development and where it didn't go where it where it may have gone wrong. You know, there's there's been a lot of clamoring among UConn fans for a shakeup in the staff. Um, it was kind of forced upon Kevin Ollie last year when, when Carl Hobbs got the job at Rutgers uh, and he brought in Dwayne Killings, who I think is a, a really excellent addition to the staff. So uh, here we have another opportunity. He got 
rid of kind of someone who was a uh, very loyal uh, person to to UConn, two separate stints of seven years each. Um, you know, somebody with a lot of experience as a head coach, which I think was really helpful for Kevin Ollie when he was first getting started uh, as a head coach. So, um, you know, definitely played a very important role in in what success UConn has experienced over the past past few years. Um, but but looking at his his primary responsibility of of the big men. Um, it, it has not been great, and it's tough to do uh, at the college level. But UConn has had some sort of history of putting uh, of of working well with big men, and that was not happening. Yeah, correct, and that kind of ties into uh, why Stephen Enoch decided to transfer. Uh, mm-hmm. There was even a quote from him saying that you know UConn is a guard oriented offense. And I think it was his dad who was saying that like Steven just didn't like the way that he was developing there. And that's kind of like another shot at Glenn Miller because he was in charge of developing the bigs. So it does seem like that was a a common theme uh, throughout uh, his tenure that these last few years, the bigs weren't developing as everyone had hoped. And Mm -hmm. you could definitely see the potential in, in all the bigs too. So you were just wondering there would be flashes, but it was always very inconsistent play. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Enoch is an interesting situation. I did not expect to hear that he would be transferring, uh, you know, Connecticut guy in line for big minutes next year, uh, certainly. So I, I was I was pretty surprised, I think, to hear that uh, of all the players that, that he would be transferring. Uh, but I, I guess I get it. I mean, for basketball prospects nowadays, being a junior is is – your old hat, your ancient history, right? It's like, how, how have you not left for the league already and why aren't you good enough? Yeah. Um, and, and for someone like Enoch, who did have some very enticing raw skills, you think about being seven foot feet tall, uh, he's, he's, very, he's got good athleticism and shooting ability, uh, you know, which is always an exciting skill to have for, for a big man. Um, you know, I guess I guess I can at least understand having that qualm because ideally you go like ten and seven as a sophomore, average ten and seven, and and you get to go, right? You get to go to the NBA draft. So uh, it, it does leave UConn in a pretty big bind, though. I mean, I think it was it was a concern anyway with him there, right? It was a concern with Enoch, and it was going to be Enoch Durham. Diara, this guy Cobb, who we just recruited, and now remove Enoch from the equation. It's uh, it's really dicey now. It's looking really dicey. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the strangest thing um, when Enoch decided to transfer, it came out saying that he wanted to transfer from UConn to get more minutes, and it's like, but don't you see that you're going to be the starting center next year, pretty much, and you're going to get a mm-hmm. lot of minutes because there's a lot of question marks in that front court. And uh, like you're saying, there's even more question marks now. Um, so now we have re- the only guy returning who actually played minutes on our team this past year is uh, Juwan Durham, and he's more of a stretch four than a than a center. And um, I mean, we have Mamadou Diara coming off uh, his knee issues. Uh, Josh Carlton is a new is is, is going to be a freshman, uh, kind of under the radar recruit. And then Eric Cobb coming from Juco, he's going to have two years left to play. 
So it's kind of like a big question mark, and, and, and there's probably going to be a need to go to the grad transfer uh, market and, and find a fifth-year big who can possibly help out immediately next year. And uh, hopefully they see UConn as an enticing opportunity because of all the available minutes. Yeah, definitely. More minutes available now in the UConn front court, like you said. So uh, I, I, ha I have to agree they must have something cooking in the grad transfer market, uh, they they have to right. That's it's uh, it's a necessity at this point because um, unless Eric Cobb is some kind of diamond in the rough that uh, you know we we uh, can depend on to be kind of a, a a tough guy down low and and give starters type of minutes down low, um, which which is possible right. Anything's possible, but. Um, even if that's the case and Cobb is a dependable piece who, who can, uh, again, play starters minutes or, or, or solid amount of minutes per game, there still is playing time. And, and you're right. It, 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 Diara is a question mark, right? Coming off of an injury, freshmen are always a question mark, but particularly when they're not, you know, super highly rated freshmen, I think in, in basketball, at least we've found that the, the, Recruiting rankings are usually pretty good because we get us we get the opportunity to see the best players on a court while they're in high school uh, a, a bunch. So, um, you know, there's no there's no real marquee guy coming in who we can say and, and think to ourselves, you know, who okay, that's going to be our our situation down low. So, um, hopefully, uh, they do have somebody that. Uh, that can at least fill that spot. We've got two scholarship openings as of right now. Yep. There's going to be, there's two openings available for uh, next year's class. Okay. So uh, yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. there's still a decent chance. One of those goes to a walk on probably. Could be, but I mean, I, I, I don't think um, if there's a better player available, I don't think that that, uh, scholarship is going to go to a walk-on player by default. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it will be interesting to track from, from here on out between now and the start of the season. Uh, Kevin Ali has, has frequently been very active in the grad transfer market, and now uh, it's becoming very imperative that he do so uh, this offseason. And then in terms of Miller, uh, there have been a few rumored names floated out. Um, how, how strongly do you think we should be considering kind of some of these names that have been popping up in the, in the uh, message board and, and blogosphere? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, there, there's one way you can just kind of connect the dots with everything. I don't think everything's a coincidence the way that uh, some of these names have been popping up. And then there's stuff on... 24-7 sports, their crystal ball feature. There's a former Washington commit who's kind of – his name isn't really connected to UConn at the minute, but uh, his former coach that recruited him is being connected to UConn through uh, Twitter rumors and message board rumors and stuff, and that name is uh, Rafael Chilius. Uh, he's, Excellent name. I know, yeah, especially the fact that we have uh, Dwayne Killings on the staff too, so we'll have – Chill and kill uh, on, on the staff, which <laughs> pretty sick. Uh, but yeah, he's that's a name that's kind of being thrown around right now, and it kind of makes sense. There's definitely uh, 
Seems like he hasn't. Yeah, he was just fired. Uh, part of Lorenzo Romar's staff at Washington that is not being retained by uh, Mike Hopkins. Um, back in the day, he did coach uh, Josh Boone for right, his right. post-grad year at uh, West Nottingham Academy. And then he was the head coach at South Kent Academy in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And actually, fun fact there, Jim Calhoun actually uh, gave the um, president of South Kent a few names, saying here's some really good coaching candidates. And uh, Chilius was one of those coaching candidates. So there's that connection there where Calhoun is familiar with him, and he might be familiar with UConn. He's, uh, he's known as a, a very uh, – obviously a big contributor in the recruiting trail – um, and actually spent some time working with Nike, uh, yeah. a, as a, uh, as a manager of some sort on their grassroots circuit, which is the, kind of what people call AAU, uh, typically the, the, uh, EYBL. So he's got, you know, he understands that scene, right. Yeah. Which is, which is critical. If, if it is this guy, uh, if it is, yeah. I mean, it, it, it would be great, especially because of, uh, how and how good he is at recruiting? Because I mean, he he has he attracted Markel Fultz from the East Coast all the way to Washington, mm-hmm. um, and he's going to be the number one draft pick probably in this upcoming uh, year's class. Um, so there's a lot of uh, potential there for him to come to UConn and do a lot of good things. Um, but there are some other names that we probably would want to consider for the opening. I mean, Tom Moore. Uh, there's that UConn connection, and that would help. He would help with rebounding too. Yeah, Quinnipiac was always one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country when uh, Tom Moore was there. I guess I think their offensive rebounding percentage was always in the top five for the majority of the time that he was there. Yeah, I think I think Tom Moore. I mean, he's a, f- he's a former longtime UConn assistant, uh, so it's definitely somebody who makes a lot of sense and someone who's stayed within the state and uh, has has good local connections. So. Uh, I think he makes a lot of sense. He's he's has a lot of head coaching experience, and could probably bring a lot to UConn uh, if uh, if asked to do so. Longtime Calhoun assistant for uh, I think about thirteen years. You know the 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 sum of these kind of recent pieces of news that has come out is that um, Kevin Ollie's tenure at UConn is at a crossroads. Um, I, I will not go as far as what a lot of other people are saying about, you know, hot seat or, or deserves heavy scrutiny or anything like that. I think, you know, perhaps not enough credit is, or, or leniency is being given to Ollie for the, the effect that injuries had on this season. Um, but at, at the moment right now, this is a, this is a critical juncture because he needs to find somebody who's going to help them write the ship on, uh, on the big men and the offensive strategy, which which clearly does need tightening up, no matter what, um, you know, no matter what what you want to say, they they do need some help on that end in terms of uh, of uh, getting more points on the board. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on the kind of standing of Kevin Ollie and 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 you know where David Benedict might be feeling with him? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of, like you said, kind of like a lot of noise recently where people are want Kevin Ali to be on the hot seat, mm-hmm. especially after this year. 
And I think a lot of things are blown out of proportion uh, considering uh, UConn's current conference, especially people still haven't kind of gotten used to the fact that the conference UConn is currently in is no longer like the old Big East. Games aren't as interesting anymore considering the opponent, the, the disappointing, some of the disappointing seasons, uh, disappointment in conference realignment is just kind of all blending together. And uh, I think people are just really taking their frustration out on Kevin Ollie because he's the face of the program right now. I'm kind of with you in terms of I'm not really ready to put Kevin Ollie on the hot seat. Um, would I like to see a better regular season? Definitely. But I can also understand the context of some of those seasons in terms of uh, the injuries and, and just uh, poor recruiting. Um, so definitely things do need to get better. Right. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've kind of written about this a few times, but like the, the situation that he inherited was a really tough one. Uh, as you mentioned, yeah. so you're switching conferences, you're replacing a legendary head coach, you have an NCAA tournament ban and you have a nine month contract, uh, you know, and, and all of a sudden Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame, Louisville, no longer on the schedule and now you're playing East Carolina, Tulane, uh, and and directional Florida. So I think you know there's there's a lot that that has really affected UConn. We saw it in the recruiting results during that time period. He was able to fight through that. He was able to add very critical graduate transfers who played key roles on championship teams. Um, you know, Lasan Chroma, very key piece to the title team. Uh, Sean Miller, Sterling Gibbs, very big pieces to a team that won the AAC conference tournament last year. So he, he's done, he's done a lot of good given the circumstances. There aren't many guys who would, you know, get through this five year stretch with that level of success, including, Hey, everybody, a national championship. I think it's, it's definitely lacking in kind of just appreciation of the situation that he inherited. Um, Recruiting seems to have picked up. Uh, hopefully, is looking at another small uptick with uh, with this change in the coaching staff. I'm not, and you know, close to giving to saying, you know, let's let's put Ollie on the hot seat. I think if the next one to two years continue to, or, or actually just start to become, you know, disappointing seasons, then then we have something. Or if there's more roster attrition. Uh, which which has been rumored, but we don't want to to speculate on here. Um, then we might you know want to start to think about that, but um, I, I do think that it, that is unfounded. But that said, um, you know I do think these changes that that recently the staff has undergone. I do think David Benedict did did have some sway behind them. I think Ollie probably may have kept those guys on board either due to loyalty or, or whatever other forces, um, you know, a desire to work through it. I, I do think David Benedict has his hands on these moves and, and um, you know, I don't want to say ultimatum or forced or anything like that, but uh, did his job and, and persuaded Kevin Ollie to make some changes in the interest of improving the program. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, a good example was Bob Diaco. I mean, I think there, it was reported that uh, David Benedict had a new offensive coordinator on campus and wanted Bob Diaco to consider him, but Bob Diaco was stubborn and didn't really listen to what his boss was asking him to do. 
And for that reason, Benedict got the money and said goodbye. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen that Benedict is not um, afraid to pull the trigger when he feels that a change needs to be made. Uh, towards the end of the season, there were quotes from Benedict understanding of like understanding the context of the season in terms of the injuries and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But he did mention that he was going to have to have a sit down with like Kevin Ollie and talk about the season and what we can do to make sure uh, it doesn't happen again. Uh, so like you're saying, I think even if uh, some of these moves aren't being reported as coming from Benedict, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Ollie had a sit down with Benedict saying like, here's some of the things that I think that we need to change. This is what you need to do. And mm-hmm. Kevin Ollie followed suit and agreed. Right. Right. I mean, uh, it has to be tough if you write it. You put yourself in Kevin Ollie's shoes and and say and think about okay, Ko. Now you have to fire this guy who uh, actually has been a head coach on multiple occasions with some degree of success. Um, he's been a, a long time staffer for UConn, and uh, you just you just kind of jumped over him to be the head coach, and now you have to fire go and fire him. So. Uh, it is not an ideal scenario, and maybe he, um, you know, maybe he had had some feelings about it. But uh, I, I do think I do think David Benedict fairly clear that he probably had something to do with this because Ollie could have made this change at any point over the past couple of years, um, and and probably should have. In other news, the UConn football Huskies have taken the field for their first practices of the Randy Edsel era. Everyone's very excited, and uh, of course there's excitement abound from the fan base over uh, what this new offense is going to look like under Rhett Lashley. Uh, we'll see what the developments are in that uh, arena as practices continue. Uh, we have also have some very exciting uh, additions to the staff. Uh, two former Huskies, Dan Orlovsky, the great, great quarterback, uh, who has been spending his past 11 years uh, in the NFL, is back with the Huskies as a graduate assistant, and so is linebacker from the class of 2014, Yawin Smallwood. So uh, great things going on for the Huskies in that end. And they actually also had their pro day this past Wednesday. A couple of notable performances, I think. Obi Melafanu, of course, someone who is looking like he's going to be an early round pick, uh, getting workouts at cornerback, which is insane for somebody that's six foot four. Uh, but with his athleticism and smoothness, uh, something that, that could make sense. So uh, great to see OB showing off impressively in those, uh, in, in those drills. And then wide receiver Noel Thomas did an excellent job of improving his draft stock by running a much better 40 time at the pro day than at the combine. Now in the, in the 4-4 range, which uh, should put him in line with more of the top end receiver spe- uh, in terms of speed. So that's always good to see. Uh, I think I think Noel Thomas definitely brings a lot to the table as a receiver, but also good to know that he's got his measurables up there in a in a way where uh, in the range where NFL scouts are more comfortable with. Another Husky who uh, had a good pro day was cornerback John Green. He had been serving as the nickel corner for the Huskies. Uh, for the past couple of years, and we actually had a chance to speak with him about his time at UConn and going through the NFL draft process. Thanks for joining us, John. Oh, nice, nice to be here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for for joining us. So, uh, why don't we go ahead and, and start from the beginning? You're you're from Miami, right? Yeah, originally from Miami, Florida. Grew up there my whole life. 
parents are from Jamaica, so I have roots from Jamaica. Um, you know, I wanted to change, so I had one University of Connecticut offered me. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't even think twice. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to experience a different, a different scenery. Um, snow, obviously, I didn't get uh, snow in Miami, so that was <laughs> a big change. You, you actually wanted snow, huh? Yeah, yeah, a whole lot of snow, but I mean. But it's it's a good experience. I had a great time at the university. It's a great school, great campus, and great atmosphere. Awesome. Well, um, while you were in Miami, I imagine the the football culture is obviously something that that people talk about um, a lot, and and not just at the college level, but even at the high school level. Can you share a little bit about what that experience was like, and and the level of competition, and um, you know, some yeah, of some course. Of I mean. Time? I mean, Miami is, is obviously known for football and speed. Um, and growing up in Miami during my high school days, it was always very competitive. We didn't have as much of the exposure as they do now in terms of seven-on-seven seven teams and certain camps. That we only had probably a couple of camps that you were able to go to. But, I mean, in, but in terms of, like, the athleticism in Miami, it's obviously one of the best. Um, speed was obviously a big thing. I grew up racing was a hobby for a lot of the kids in the neighborhood. So, I mean, we used to do that for fun, see who won a race. And then we used to play scrimmages, football games. And I mean, it was, it was fun, very competitive. Did you, uh, did you root for the U or, or was, uh, did you follow someone else? <laughs> no, I was, I was never a fan of the U. Uh, I mean, I was, I couldn't say who, uh, I don't know who my favorite college team was, but it wasn't the U. I, I didn't like the U. I always thought they were too cocky. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but I mean, it's, it's everybody, you know, everybody in Miami loves the U, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when, and, and when you ended up at UConn, and which you said you wanted to go to because of the change of scenery, uh, at the time, that was uh, when you had committed it was going to be Paul Pascaloni's first year. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so yeah. you know, obviously a lot, a lot changed. You know, he, he ended up having to leave after the following year. So what was that like? A new coach comes in and, and you're kind of wondering, where do I stand with this guy who, who didn't recruit me? Well, I mean, I, throughout the, I had three different coaching changes because once Paul Pascaloni left and we had coach, TJ Weiss, which was the interim coach, and then Coach Bob Diaco. So I mean, it was it was a very difficult time in the program. But I mean, I was always a quiet, state of myself type of guy, and follow the rules. I never got in trouble too much. So I mean, it was it was a smooth transition for me because the coaches knew I was a likable guy. So it was always now you know what, what's the new scheme. So that was the only hard part, just the change of schemes. Um, change of cultures because when you have a new coach and you have a different culture the coach wants to instill in the program so I mean it, it was that was probably the, the hardest part but I mean each one of the coaches were great guys I mean me and coach TJ Weiss we still talk to this day um so he's a he was a he was a good guy you know he cared about us a lot he was a family-oriented guy and coach Paul Pasqualoni I mean I always give him thanks because he's the one that gave me my first opportunity to play college football. Absolutely. That makes sense. 
Um, so when when was it that you, you ended up coming to UConn as uh, recruited as a wide receiver, right? And then you end you uh, as we're speaking to you right now, you're a cornerback. So when did that change come about? All uh, right. So I mean, uh, so when Coach Bob Diaco came in, um, the scheme that we we're running, we didn't need a slot receiver. We weren't going to use them that often, and we were short in the cornerback position. So. He asked me if I wanted to move, and I could right away start competing for the nickel position um, on the field. So I mean, and play behind Byron Jones, which I, you know, I thought about it. Talked to Jeremy Davis, which was one of the leading receivers at UConn at the time, and we spoke for a little bit. And we said, you know, we came to the conclusion that maybe it was a better move for me since the slot wasn't really a big asset in the offense at the time with the new scheme. So. Going over to DB now, I ended up competing in camp and winning the spot to the Nickelback uh, for the 2014 season. And I mean, I never had, I had no experience playing the position before. It was my first time actually playing the position. But I mean, uh, the coaches felt confident enough to put me in the game. So. And what what did you see from, from Byron Jones while you had a chance to play alongside him? Uh, what what differentiated him from other other cornerbacks or other defensive backs? Byron, I mean Byron's a animal. I mean his oh and then go jump eleven threes after doing uh, twenty plus squats. I mean he, he's just and then he was such a technician and everything he did. He used to hold me after practice and me and him used to get in some extra work on um, teach me certain stuff. So I mean was, I was definitely blessed to be behind him at the time. I mean, he's a good dude, quiet, stays to himself, and very humble. Um, but I mean, and he's also a teacher. It was it was a great experience. I learned a lot from him. Uh, definitely get uh, build my help build my confidence level up. So I mean, he's a great guy. And then, what was it like seeing a teammate of yours end up being a, a first round draft pick by the Dallas Cowboys, no less? Um, <laughs> I mean, I was I was excited for him honestly. I knew I already worked for. It. And I knew he was capable of doing it. Um, I mean, him and you got Obi coming up now. Obi's another guy that could get as a possible first rounder. So I mean, both of these, both of them are freaks. And you know, I've been I've been with Obi since we first came in with Pascaloni, and since then he was a freak. So I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad to see them actually excelling and they could do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those those were two first round picks, but then even someone like Andrew Adams went undrafted and ended up being uh, still an impact player for the New York Giants. Uh, for someone such as yourself right now, um, you know, where you weren't invited to the combine and, and maybe you're not too much on on the radar until after this pro day, but um, is is that kind of a something that's that's also inspiring to you that, that you know let, allows you to think? Um, you know, you, you'll have a shot as well? Yeah, I mean, I spoke, me and Andrew had dinner a couple of days ago, and we spoke about it. Um, we spoke about, and his process was similar to mine, where he wasn't he wasn't invited to the combine. Mm-hmm. And he only had his pro day, and he performed at his pro day well enough to get picked up. The hype, he didn't really have a lot of hype coming out. Um, because, I mean, obviously, as much hype as Obi and Byron did, because obviously he didn't go to the combine. The slow process is just being patient and just doing all you could do. And I mean, the pro day, I did all I could do. And, you know, I'm, I have another opportunity at the Miami Dolphins local day to perform as well. So, I mean, 
I'm just trying to do everything I could do possible so I can make it to the next level. Yeah, I mean, so you, with looking at the numbers from your pro day, it looks like you put up a, a really good performance, uh, and and you have been in touch with some NFL teams. So, what is it that they're telling you in terms of, um, you know, what what they might do with you, or or what you would need to do uh, in order to kind of keep advancing your uh, your stock with them? Well, basically, it's um my size, because I mean, I'm five ten, one eighty. I know I'm, I'm normally at five ten. 190, but I dropped a lot of training. Um, so, I mean, I, I normally like to stay at 185 and fluctuate from 185 to 190. So, I mean, that's another, that's the one step I, they wanted me to take in terms of in terms of the next level, just gaining a little bit more weight and putting on a little bit more size. Can you share more a little, a little about the pro day experience, what that was like to go out there? Um, you know, there were, there were a lot of scouts in attendance, so Definitely a great opportunity to show I'm, your stuff. Do you feel like something came from that? Yeah, I mean, both. I mean, it was it was a whole lot of scouts out there, and um, and it was a great experience. I mean, an experience that lasts me a lifetime because I mean, you just it's just you in front of a a whole group of scouts that are going to determine your future. I mean, it was great. Um, a little nerve wracking. I could have performed a little better. I know I could have ran a little faster. But um, other than that, I mean, it was it was memorable. It was definitely memorable for us. Nice. And and when is the Miami Dolphins local day? It's on April seventh. Excellent. So that'll be your April next 7th, next opportunity. 7 exactly. Exactly. Nice. Well, uh, best of luck to you in that. Was it uh, was it weird when you went back to UConn and and there was a different head coach there? I mean, it was. It wasn't that bad. I mean, he's a real nice guy. I mean, I, I, was telling all, I was telling all the guys this. I mean, he was very welcoming. He talked to me for a little bit, you know. Basically, he talked to me like he was my coach last year. So, I mean, he's very opening. And then when I was leaving the facility, he said, anything you need, you know, just contact me and I'll make it happen. I mean, he's very welcoming to the alumni, which is very good because the alumni is people keeping in place. So, I mean, without the alumni, it wouldn't even been built. So, I mean. He's a nice guy, and he and he really and very well. So you have, uh, of course, uh, your your defensive backfield mate uh, Obi, who's uh, Obi Melifanu, who's looking like he's got a real shot to make make some noise. Uh, how often are you in touch with another classmate of yours, Noel Thomas, and and you know working with him throughout the draft process? Well, me and Noah, we talk basically every day. Um, same with Obi, we all talk pretty much almost almost every day. I mean, but I mean, we're you know, Obi played over top of me. I was the boundary corner. Obi played safety in the boundary. So I mean, we we have a great uh, relationship together. And me and Noah, we came in as a receiver. You know, we so we all have we all have a good relationship with each other. And you know, and this whole process is just building it even stronger because now we're all working for the same goal. Has there been anything particularly surprising about this pre-draft process or about any of the conversations that you've had with, with folks from the NFL or, or other scouts? No, I mean, it's nothing really surprises. I mean, I know I know the numbers I was going to put up. I know I was going to have uh, – my workouts were going to look clean. Um, I know OBs was going to look good. I know nose was going to look good. So, you know, it wasn't a surprise. It was 
it was just, it was more so like, okay, finally we achieved it. Now, what's the next step we have to take? So, I mean, it's, it's more so an ener energizer prize. Cool, cool. Um, so we'll switch gears actually a little bit. I want to talk about uh, the current UConn football roster. You had a chance to work with uh, the the entire spectrum of, of the defensive backs and what a lot of fans are wondering because we don't get a chance to see you know some of the younger players so often. Um, maybe we'll start at defensive back and if there are other positions as well, but who are some of the younger guys who had, had been really impressive to you in practice who um, you know you think might have be in for big things down the road? I mean, I'm going to stick with my two guys, you know, Jamar, Jamar Summers and, uh, and Trey Bell. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to have one of the best uh, secondaries this year in the conference and possibly the country. So, I mean, with those two guys in the uh, down corner, he plays real good, real good on the short intermediate passes. And, and even the deep balls, he's really well with. I mean, he's uh, all around well, uh, good playing corner. Trey Bell. He's great on the short on a short game as well. I mean, when I say these two corners could play, I mean they're probably the best on the defense right now. And then on offense, we have Hergy, who should step up and take no spot um, as the leading receiver. Um, should have a thousand yards this year. I don't see why not. And and Brian, I mean Brian's the the key to key to victory. I mean, he's one of he's a good quarterback. Um, one of you know he, he has a running game and pass game in his in his arsenal, so I mean, I, I feel I feel like we're gonna make a lot of noise this year. Excellent. Well, I think uh, Husky fans are definitely excited to see that. I know there's definitely a lot of excitement for what will be Jamar Summer's senior season, as well as to get a first look at Trey Bell on the field. Any of the like real younger guys, you know, freshmen, sophomores who've been standing out to you? Yeah, I mean, um. Keon Dixon, his speed is um his speed is real good. Once he knows how to contain that speed, I feel like he'll he'll be a real monster um to secondaries. Um and I was watching the um the freshman uh number twenty seven. I wasn't I wasn't able to meet him because you know I was pressed for time on pro day. But I mean, you know, the freshman number twenty seven, uh, he looks pretty good, and they're saying that he's pretty good. I mean, his footwork looks great. Is he a defensive back? And um. And he's a freshman this year. I think he came in early. Oh, is it, is it uh, Omar Fort? Omar, yeah, he looks he looks good. He got a good size to him, and um, and I mean his breaks look pretty good, and he's taking on this new scheme very well. So I mean, I feel like he's gonna he's gonna be a problem when Jamar and uh, Trey Bell leave. Nice. Well, uh, Omar hails from the same high school as as Noel Thomas, so uh, always good to see. Was coached by his father. Uh, and, and definitely a great addition for UConn uh, in the recruiting class. So um, don't want to take up too much of your time, John. I know it's, it's, uh, you're obviously very busy, and, and we're very, very thankful to have the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, last question, if you, uh, if you could pick an NFL team to, to uh, bring you on board, do you have a preference? Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to have to go with Miami Dolphins. You know, I grew up watching them. Damn Rito. Probably one of the best, Ricky Williams, Ronnie Brown with the Wildcat. I mean, can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope I, I do wish you all the best at the uh, Miami Dolphins Pro Day, and 
uh, we'll be sure to stay in touch. Thank you so much, and, and congrats on the great Pro Day performance as well. All right. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. My pleasure.